1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Staiskel, joined by a laughing Bobby Warshaw. Bobby, what's going on, man?
2: That's, so that's how you pronounce your name? I only came on this show to figure out how to You don't to know
1: how it. to pronounce my name? You are such a fraud. Nobody You're does. Fraud don't act like anybody how does. How long have we known each other? You're acting out here like you don't know I, how to say my name. I also want to say that that was a third time's a charm for your intro. Well, the first time was a charm until someone decided to clap in the middle of it for no reason. You're supposed to clap, dude. Everyone do you think this claps. is a professional podcast? Does <sighs> sure. Greg, Greg Burhalter clap? We don't clap. Oh, so not everyone claps.
3: Ah, we uh, we okay. do not clap.
1: All right. Just you're falling apart. House of cards over here Warshaw. Anyway, Bobby is joining me this week. Many of you know him from his illustrious playing career with FC Dallas and over in Sweden. More of you probably know him from his wildly illustrious career at MLSsoccer.com as a writer and analyst over there for several years. Um, Bobby is one of the more interesting soccer people I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, So no pressure, Bob got to deliver on this podcast now, my man. Did you just call me Bob? I wasn't ready for that. It caught me off guard. I like to keep you on your toes.
2: How? how? So, Sam, I have a few questions for you. I I I, I know that you're the producer. You make questions. You send them to me. Blah, blah, blah.
1: It's weird to say as a journalist and a reporter, but I think I'm terrible at coming up with questions. So, please, ask away. That's fascinating.
2: That's like a midfielder being like, I realized the other day that I'm just like bad at trapping the ball. (laughs) I realize it's this weakness in my game. I've been working on it. It's just imposter syndrome.
1: We all have it to a degree.
2: I have some questions for you. Some pertain to soccer. Some pertain to other things. When is the right block Let's to do just, them in? Do we do them at can the we just do it? Let Let's do it right forward? now.
1: We're, we're figuring it out on the okay. fly. Let's do it now. Before we do it, for those of you who don't know, I do want to mention that Bobby hosts a podcast via U.S. Soccer with USMNT head coach Greg Berhalter. It is legitimately interesting. It's a good look into how... Berhalter thinks about things. Um, it's also a good look into um, you know, his sneaker collection and what he likes to grill and stuff. They do a little lightning round at the end of most of the episodes. It's a legitimately good listen. Paul and I have talked about it on the show before, but I just wanted to shout it out uh, before before you Thanks. start grilling me. You seasoned podcast. Thanks. Us.
2: That was nice of you. So I am I am curious. You and I have talked to podcasts for years, partially... When we were both on ETR, yeah, time radio. you were yeah. on a you were you were on a less so because you weren't living in New York at the time, yeah. so you would just call in. And even at that point, you had wanted to be more active in podcasts. You're an avid listener; you enjoy yeah. them. So now that you are, are you two years into allocation? We're very disorder? close to
1: that. Yeah, I think we we started in so February. How does it
2: how does it feel now? <laughs>
1: compared
2: to how you had felt three years ago, that you're two years into having your own show? Uh,
1: that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think I've gotten tangibly better at this, but in large part, and this will sound weird too, that's sort of by design. I don't want this show to feel really produced or formal or polished. I want it to feel relatable and enjoyable. Um, and I think we've hopefully developed something of our own kind of language on this show. I think we've certainly filled the lane for people who want to kind of dive deep and get weird with MLS. And that's been enjoyable. Um, maybe I've gotten a little bit better at hosting. I don't know. But um, it's been fun. I've learned that. And I've learned, I guess, confirmed my belief that there is an appetite for this stuff and that people want to engage with it, even if you go deep. Um, and I think that's been cool as well. So, yeah.
2: What What are your strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> you are such as a, a, creep. a- <laughs> Podcast. My strengths no, I think it's interesting because I, I feel like, people, I, well, I've, I find this question fascinating because you are currently in the, the content business as a profession. I spent time in the content business. One of my big pet peeves when people are in the business or you know in the industry or entering the industry who do not take it as a craft, right? They're like, oh, all that is is sitting behind a desk or sitting behind a computer. And writing or talking, whatever is on my mind, and that is so far from the truth, right? Podcasting is a craft. You know, Doyle and I used to talk about this all the time, and my Matt, god, is Matt, Doyle good at Matt every Doyle. part of the craft? For
1: those of you who don't know,
2: so I'm cu- like right there. You just did, you did a thing in the craft. I said a, I said a surname, and you brought it back to the person's yeah. full name, so that everyone felt connected. Yeah. So. On that concept of the craft, how do you feel Man. like you are doing two years? We are your so
1: different in this, in this way. And just how we view things and how we approach things. I view writing as more of a craft than I do podcasting. They're certainly both crafts, but podcasting is very much my, it's not my full-time thing. It's not what pays my bills, you know? So I don't take it quite as seriously. I don't do it as often either. Right. I do this once a week. I write every single day. Uh, so that's, that's a bit different. Um What, I mean, what are my strengths and weaknesses? My strengths, I hope, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know how people perceive this, but I hope that people find this show conversational yet informative, right? We get into the weeds on a lot of different topics that can be super dry, right? And not really that interesting to listen to on the surface. But I think we deliver them in a relatively entertaining way most of the time. I certainly hope that. So I think taking content or subject matter that is on its face, not interesting and boring and unintelligible to the layman and making it talking about it in a way that people can understand more easily and in a way that's engaging and entertaining and then bringing it back around and having a larger point and a point of view on it. I think that would be a strength. A weakness would be um, introductions, as we saw a few minutes ago. Um, oh, another weakness would be just like planning, like you know, peeling back the curtain again. Here, I sent Bobby a list of topics for this show and the in the build up to it. Um, he responded and he was like, "Yeah, that all sounds good," and then he's like. As we were on Skype about to hit record, he's like, I have some questions and topics for you too. I have no idea what they were. And I'm like, Well, you should tell me what they are and then we can plan the show. And he's like, No, no, no. And I'm like, Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't talk about it. And that's how Paul and I usually plan this show by having a phone call like ten minutes beforehand and being like, Yeah, that's what we're talking about. All right, cool. Let's go. So we don't we don't do a lot of planning and I would like to do more actual like guest appearances. Not with people like yourself who are in the media or John Arnold who was on last week or any one of my athletic colleagues, but with actual like movers and shakers in this industry, because I think that could uh, open up a new door for us. It's a wild concept having guests on a podcast in the in the area that you're covering. I know it's crazy.
2: Here's here's my here's my response to that. Uh, Perhaps a take on it is that people don't want guests when they have a show like this. There are shows that have guests, and there are shows when I listen because I want to spend time with Sam, with people like yeah, Sam and Paul. I would agree with that. And when I want to spend time with Sam and Paul, don't give me a guest who are usually bad, and the yes. person is a bad so, interviewer
1: of said guests. It wouldn't. It would be very. It would be very selective, and it would be it would be rare. But I think there are times when, say, if we could get a certain GM on that one mm-hmm. or both of us have a good relationship with, and that we know is a good talker and that would be willing to go deep on us, with us, on, on different subjects that, that matter to us and to our listeners, that could be really engaging and entertaining if we do it every two or three months, right? Because I agree. Those of you, who, I mean, anyone that knows me knows this, but I don't, I don't think I've talked about it on this show. And, and shout out to to the fancy lad, Chris Whittingham. Hopefully he's listening. But the show that I listen to all the time is the Dan Lebitard Show. And when they have guests on, most of the time I'm like, I prefer this show when there are no guests. (laughs) And it's just the rotating, it's just the cast of characters that make it what it is. Sometimes they have amazing guests and it's an amazing interview and it really elevates, right? And sometimes they bring on people that are kind of part of the family and that's cool too. But when they have a random interview, like those are the only things in that show I ever skip. And I've been conscious of that with this one, with this podcast too, because I don't want to bring somebody on and do a bland ass. Boring interview that no one wants to hear, just because it's a thing we quote unquote should do.
2: It's especially since you don't if you're not you don't have a pressure to bring in an audience. What a guest yeah. does, is the name brings you an audience, <laughs> and their retweet brings you an audience. And then ideally, even if that episode sucks, people will come back again, and there are people you wouldn't have reached otherwise. Sure. But you don't have those pressures. Yeah,
1: thank, your thank, revenue stream thank is you not to, dependent thank you on to the Taylor, Taylor Rockwell and the Total Soccer Show family, right? We don't got to deal with any... I have no idea how many people listen to this show. Zero. <laughs> there are a lot of people that subscribe to the Total Soccer Show, and those people automatically download this show. So, I know that it gets a decent amount of downloads, but I have no idea if people are actually listening. Do,
2: do you guys ever... Do you and Paul talk about how great Taylor is?
1: Um, well, I mean, I'm kind of mad at him because he doesn't answer my phone calls. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we talk about Joe on this show a lot because Joe Lowry is the actual person that edits this mess. Um, so, we talk about Joe on the show quite a bit and and the listeners, who clearly aren't you, um, would know that, but... Yeah. We talk about Taylor sometimes. He's he's a very, very nice, kind man who has been nothing but a sincere help to us through this he's, process. Yeah. He's the best. So. He's the best. Okay. Okay. All right.
2: We'll Trans- We'll we'll go back to whatever you want to talk about now and then I'll bring <laughs> back more questions okay. at another cool. segment. Cool.
1: I like that. So let's actually get into some of the subject matter here because people didn't come here to hear me talk about my thoughts on, on this podcast as much as I like talking about myself. Not everyone likes to hear that. There have been a lot of moves happening in the world of Major League Soccer. Which have been relatively substantial uh, since we recorded last week. Kellen Acosta was traded to LAFC from the Colorado Rapids for over a million dollars in allocation money, and earlier today, Thursday, as we sit here recording, Paul Ariola was reportedly traded to FC Dallas from DC United for up to two million in allocation money, which is by far and away the most amount of allocation money that's ever changed hands in a trade in MLS. And I think it's an interesting deal for a few reasons. There was quite a saga with him and Club America, and it looked like he was going to be going there. And then Dallas comes in. Charlotte was reportedly involved as well. Um, so, Bobby, I am curious. You know, I know you don't get juiced about the the back-end stuff that I do, so you don't need to talk about that. But what do you make of this from a Paul Ariola standpoint moving from a team in DC United that plays super high press doesn't really emphasize having the ball to a team in Dallas new coach presumably they're going to try and do some more stuff in possession and not moving to a team like America which is probably the biggest club on the continent so I don't know what do you make of this for him as a player
2: Going off the information we have there were there were tweets that Ariola was happy tweets. Yeah there were tweets that Ariel was happy to go to Dallas, and he responded, "God, do I love it!" Ha- it happened with Kellen earlier this week, and now Paul. When people respond, like the actual protagonist, the, the subject, yeah, yes, respond. And Ariel's response was like, "What are you talking yeah. about? This is not true." So the These the words- tweet in
1: question to back it up was basically saying that he told DC United that he didn't want to go to Mexico, keep me in MLS, and he was like. His his response was was Nick Young, you know, making a weird face, swaggy P with a bajillion question marks as a GIF. So there you go. All right, sorry. Continue, please. So just
2: just to provide the background that he uh, responded, yeah. It, so it seems like he wanted to go to Club America. Yeah, if you were him, you you generally want to play soccer, right? We talked about, and this is somewhat of like a a tangent here, but people often talk about the best tactics to play and there are different mathematical ways you can show that a DC United peer pressing the classic New York Red Bulls, Jesse yeah. Marsh approach is like the best mathematical concept to increase every margin you can increase. Yeah. The problem with that is good players don't want to do it. Yeah. Right, It's not that it's not fun, fun, kicking the ball forward, running into someone, kicking the ball forward, running into someone, doing nothing but max sprints all the time. Uh, it's a little bit more fun to play the way that we assume that that Nico will want to play in Dallas, similar to probably the way Berhalter played in Columbus and the national team when Nico was his assistant, which just is a more enjoyable style of play. So having as much information as you do, Sam, I would imagine that it's something that barring going to Club America is a preferable choice for the player.
1: I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it probably boosts his chances of being with the national team at the World cup. If they do indeed qualify just because, all right, Paul Ariola, what is he really good at? I think he's well suited to that pressing game, right? He's a max effort kind of guy. He puts in the work and, and he, and he's a good defensive winger. Um, what he can struggle with sometimes, although he was good in MLS last year is with the final product. Right. And if you're not getting the repetitions in that way, like maybe he wasn't with DC, um, you know, maybe you're not going to improve as much if you play on a team that has more of the ball and you're taking more touches and you're just getting more practice. Right. And so I think that could be a positive for him for that. Uh, I don't think it hurts to have the relationship with Nico Estevez and Greg Berhalter right? And you're sort of playing a similar system perhaps. Um, so I think it's good from from his standpoint. Um, although America, you know, the ceiling there certainly would have been higher. And if you're talking about playing it in Frisco or at the Azteca for your home games, I think I know which one I would choose from like a pure like Damn, this is fun perspective.
2: Which of the three is best for the national team? For the, for the average fan out there, Sam, who doesn't care about DC or Dallas or Club America mm-hmm. and really just cares about the national team, where do they want Paul Ariola to be playing?
1: I think Club America. Can, can I, back, can I, can I provide one yeah. more
2: qualifier to that though? Yeah. Because it seems that Ariola given his skill set has a part to play in this national team whether yeah. it's in the final 23 or not for the whether it's in the 11 at yeah. for a big game or the final 23 for the world cup he is at least somewhere and has impact on this team therefore i should want
1: him to play i think i think of the 3 i think it's Dallas because you know what you're getting with with Ariola from a baseline right and that's like That's what we've seen from him with the national team over the course of qualifying. He's a guy who's going to stretch a back line. He's going to press high and hard. He's going to work his socks off, right? And he's going to occasionally get himself into good positions on the ball. And then the question is, what can he do with it, right? And with DC, I don't think that would have really changed with Dallas I think it has the potential to maybe go up with America I think it probably would have had the potential to go up as well but I also think with America you have a, a much higher risk of him not really playing that much and maybe regressing just because he's not getting the time that he needs so I think Dallas is a it's it's a lower it's it's a higher floor might be a slightly lower ceiling than America but I think for him it's a good landing spot for the national team what I mean what do you think do you agree with that do you do you want to poke holes in it
2: Man, I mean, I think, you know, 51% chance that you're more likely than what I'm about to say. There's just the only other counter argument I could think of just to kind of make sure that we get the full circle here is that playing in that D.C. system every day creates demands and hones a skill set that still provides uh, like a different angle for Burhalter to take with the national team. Do you, think if
1: that, you... do you think that goes away, though, in Dallas?
2: Well, I think it's. I think on some margin, it's decreased. Yeah. That you that that Ariola would regress to the mean of the way everyone else plays. Whereas if he's in DC, he it accentuates his his skill set, which already plays in that way.
1: Right, his mean so, is higher than most people's mean in this way. I think it's fair. His simple. mean,
2: ang- his mean, angry mean, his angry mean.
1: I don't know. His angry mean. Like you know uh, I mean? like the pressing mean, like yeah. the working hard mean. Yeah, yeah, it's way above most players.
2: Correct. And if you can just like maybe raise the band of DC, because Greg has talked often about verticality, directness, pressing transitions, and DC does that. And if you're in that every day. Maybe it pushes you because Errol is never, not going to be the national team for the Dallas Nico Estevez passing reasons anyway. Sure. So anyway, I do think – I do agree with you that Dallas is slightly better. But just to try and think of it from the yeah. other
1: side, that could potentially he be might the not, reasoning. He might not be as sharp in those ways. Um, Bobby, I'm going to just outline this for our listeners and then I'm going to ask you a question. So there were all these rumors of him going to America. Not rumors, reports, legitimate reports. There were apparently five bids made by America. To DC for him. Um, Some of the money in a transfer fee would have gone to Tijuana, which DC acquired Ariola from back in the summer of 2017. Um, But they would have stood to gain several million dollars, presumably, from a sale. Ariola was a DP for DC United. Because he was a DP, the way that MLS governs transfer fees for DPs means that DC could have either pocketed that cash and just sat on it and used it as revenue for their owners and taken a really nice vacation for those two, or they could have reinvested it in discretionary funds, which means they could have signed a new DP or a U22 player or a TAM player, or, you know, funded their Academy, put more into the facility that they're opening all of that stuff. They cannot use any of that money as allocation money, not a single cent of it because he's a DP. Um, so, they could have added to their discretionary budget, right? But they wouldn't have been able to actually create more space on the cap. And that's that's important, right? And, and so, what ended up happening is they're going to get $2 million in straight up cap space from Dallas. And they obviously ended up prioritizing that higher than however many millions of dollars they would have gotten had they sold him to America, and I think that's interesting, especially in the context of that tweet that we were talking about. Because this is a move that would have benefited the club from a financial point of view, not from a cap point of view, but from a financial point of view. And it seemed like it's one that Ariola maybe wanted, and yet it didn't happen. And I, my guess, this isn't reported, but my guess is because they prioritized the allocation money over the millions in real money. And there's nothing wrong with that choice. But I find it strange that the league is still putting its clubs in position to make it. And I don't know. I'm curious what you think about it from a former player's perspective. That you would have your career sort of governed by something like that.
2: Yeah, it sucks. But we do this in MLS and we're upset about the rules. But every American sport has funky rules that mess with careers. Sure. So, this this is a point that doesn't that doesn't strike with me, doesn't resonate with me. I and mean, I can understand the human side, but it's not unique to major league soccer. But Sam, you know, I'm surprised that you're going in this direction because you generally know how I feel about this line of this line of reasoning from you and Paul.
1: Well, you're not you're not just talking to me here, Bobby. You're talking to the millions of people that listen to allocation disorder every week. They don't know.
2: I I just think that your argument about the roster rules is a red herring. I mean, are you wrong? Well, probably not. But like, if that's the thing that makes you disappointed, if that's the if that's the magic wand you would use on Major League Soccer, or that's what you spend your airtime on, I just think it's it's farther down the list uh, than you think it is. So you, it's, it's one of your favorite down, topics, and I just
1: farther I, down whose list. The, like the league decision makers list.
2: Yes, of the things that it—it it seems to me that it is the thing that you like to bring up the most about
1: Major League Soccer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, I
2: just—I—I I would say that there are bigger fish to fry.
1: So what? What do you think the bigger fish are?
2: Man, now we're just playing back like the number of phone calls we have done while you've been walking your dog and I've just been meandering around the. San Francisco streets.
1: Uh, <laughs> we I think, haven't had one of those in a while, though. So
2: I think yeah. the first, the biggest thing right now is just the fact that the first three months of the season don't matter and are boring. Like Major League Soccer needs to find a way to create real jeopardy throughout the regular season because the playoffs are awesome. Something around decision day is great, but like the first two or three months at this point are effectively
1: inconsequential. Um, whether I think qualities- you could extend that to four or five months, to be honest. What is it? I think you could extend that to four or five months. Yeah, it's, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I, I listen. I I have guilt saying this because I love Major League Soccer, but at this point, it's you're lying to yourself if you say that there's any real jeopardy or consequence to the first four months. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you you can you can literally lose five six games in a row and still be in at the end, right? The Sounders did f- f- multiple years in a row and they didn't care for the first half and still made it to the, <laughs> the final. You know, it's like as a fan. Yeah. And this is the first time I've been feeling this. So maybe listeners agree, maybe they disagree. But this has probably been true about Major League Soccer for a while. But as a fan, more than ever, like my God, is football good around the world right now? Like the Premier League is so freaking good.
1: It's so fun.
2: It's so fun, right? Like, I would actually say Spain's down a little bit right now, but Bundesliga is so good, right? Even to a certain extent, some of these USL games and like the way that the, the the divisions are formatted are fun and good. There's so much competition. Hulu, Netflix. Like, there's so much competition that to ask somebody to spend two or four hours on their Saturday night watching a game that just has no real stakes or jeopardy is a major problem for the league right now.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you solve it unless you dr- dramatically change the format, and I don't think that's really going to happen. So I don't know. I, I'm. I think we need to take a quick break here because we've been going for 25 plus minutes. But on the other side of this, I'm going to ask you that question. How do you solve it? Yeah. So prepare your answer, Bob. Okay.
3: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, Sam Stasekel. Joined this week by Roberto Warshaw. I'm changing his name every time. He loves it. Anyway, I ended the last segment uh, with a pretty clear uh, view of how I'm going to start this one, and I'm not going to change that up. Bobby was just talking about the lack of urgency and the lack of meaning in the majority of MLS regular season games and how he thinks that is a huge problem for the league. I would agree. Um, Bobby, you were talking about red herrings earlier. You know, <laughs> Do you see the league switching from a playoff structure? Do you see the league decreasing the number of playoff teams? Do you see it instituting promotion and relegation? Because if you don't do any of those things, how do you solve for that, that urgency issue?
2: So traditionally, so there's two, basically two things that, that the league's trying to solve for simultaneously. Um, one is just overall intrigue around the league, overall level of jeopardy around every game. And two is making as many teams feel relevant, particularly in their home markets as possible. Right. The easiest answer to this is you create some type of system, whether it's a single table or just, you know, like a final at the end that has four teams and those, you know, four team playoffs and everything matters up to that. Because then what happens in my first hypothesis that I would test on how to change the league is you create one less playoff spot than there are, you know, like top tier clubs. And we could talk about how to define top-tier clubs, but it's something like the Seattle, LAFC, Toronto, Portland group, Atlanta.
1: So so you're talking like six playoff spots?
2: Sure. You have six playoff spots. Does that make it harder on some of the other teams to make the playoffs? Yes. But at the same time, there's almost a completely null, spurious correlation between making the playoffs in Major League Soccer and spending. Spurious? Look at these words. Right. I know this is nothing you and Paul don't like to talk about when you tell everyone to spend, but there's, there's no correlation between... I'm off that kick now. Yeah, there's no correlation. Like, if, I, if I'm an owner and I look at the data on why to spend money in Major League Soccer, it's sure as hell not to make the playoffs. And anything with as small yeah. of a sample size as playoffs is really hard to do the probabilities on and projections because clearly MLS Cup contestants do spend money. And is that random on, you know... 15 games over three years, or is that a real trend? Who knows? But anyway, I would decrease... You basically need to decrease the number of playoff spots so that the major clubs, the big TV stadiums and the big TV atmospheres care every single game and like you can truly see on their faces in the middle of April that it matters. Mm -hmm. And then for the next group down, you need other incentives, whether that's a, a Champions League spot, whether that's like maybe the top five make playoffs, and then you do something like what Denmark does, and then you yeah, have a second... Or
1: Belgium, or... Yeah. yeah, you
2: have a second bucket that then also qualifies. Yeah. So, listen, there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of ways you can test. I have a little bit of skin in this game, because this is what 21st Group does, the type of work that the company does. But...
1: Bobby works for 21st Group. <clears throat> Just so you all know.
2: Yeah. From, I think my first hypothesis would be one less playoff spots than the number of teams that we feel like are really going to go for it.
1: Interesting. Um, and are you changing the format then, like year over year, to account for a potentially changing number of teams that really go for it? Or do you stick with something? Probably uh, not. Okay. Because um, that is something we see in MLS, especially with all of these changes of ownership uh, here over the last year and, and probably more to come before the World Cup. Um, the ambition level changes at different organizations with when new people come in or out. <laughs>
2: I'm not even sure. Sorry, just to add to that, Tim, I'm not sure that it's ownership. I actually think it's fan base, and I think that this is the Sounders effect. And Sounders fans give themselves enough credit, but to give them one here as well, <laughs> I would. I, I think that a huge part of the reason the Sounders have not missed on DPs is, is largely because Garth is fantastic at what he does, and Chris Henderson is fantastic at what he does, and Schmetzer is very good at managing those personalities. But I would say the biggest factor is the fact that it's the only city in the country where if you lose on Saturday and then you walk to the market on Sunday, people will ask you why you lost.
1: Do you think that's true?
2: Maybe. It, do I think that it's true that they ask them there or that it's the only one? Both. Uh, I think it's. I think that they ask them there, yes, just from stories I've heard. Maybe that's changed okay. in recent years. Yeah. And then the second part is Atlantic Maybe Atlantic United is the same. I don't know. Portland? I feel like they revered. You don't think Portland. What?
1: You wouldn't put Portland in that boat.
2: I don't. Maybe we'd have to hear from them. I, I have not heard stories of Portland feeling the angst like Seattle. Seattle feels feels like a pressure to it. Portland, there's just more of a joy. If that difference makes sense, but I mean, I, I'm not the right person to answer that. That's just my secondhand understanding.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, I agree with you that that about what you're saying though with the fans, but you know, and, and fans can drive ownership, mm-hmm. right? And it's a kind of an accountability thing. Can
2: can fans drive ownership?
1: Yeah. If if there's a fear on the part of ownership that, hey, I have this massive fan base and they're going to stop showing up or they're going to hate me or they're going to label me some idiot joker clown when this thing exists in large part as a toy and as a device to inflate my own ego and I want to be known as doing well with it and I want to be competing... Then, then, yeah, I think it's, I don't know if it's accountability in like the overt sense of like being like, you know, you need to do this or we're going to back away, but there's an inherent pressure, right? For the owner to maintain a certain standard. And I think that's what you're talking about, right?
2: I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think of a scenario where fan pressure got an owner to do anything. I think it's more of the opposite. Owners, owners don't care. It's their, it's their asset, their toy.
1: You just said it was fans driving it two minutes but ago,
2: but it's fans to players, not fans to owners.
1: Well, it's where the
2: Sounders lose or if okay. they don't make the playoffs, they feel the pressure from their city.
1: Okay, all right, I misunderstood you then. Um, interesting, though, no? because you know, I mean, you played, you played in Dallas, right? A, a city that does not draw fans and where no one knows who you are. And no one's coming up to you in the market asking you why you lost on Saturday night. Yeah. straight, So I mean, do you think you, I mean I think I know the answer to this question. But you think you would have you would have felt differently? You think you would have competed differently had you played in Seattle, for instance? Yeah, this
2: is this is the old does Pro Rel actually put pressure on the players and does it matter?
1: Well I think Pro Rel certainly does.
2: Right. I know. We're, this is all. I'm saying it's all in the same bucket because the other school of thought here is that a professional is a professional and a professional always plays as hard as he can.
1: I mean, I, I, I buy that. I mean, it can give you an extra boost, right? Having a big crowd at your back. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's easy to understand. The way- but, you know, if things are going poorly... Like, does it make you give up a little more or do you give up a little little more easier or not give quite as much if you've got 5,000 as opposed to 35,000?
2: Yeah, the way I think about this question is that, you know, every there's basically some band from 98.5 down to 87% of intensity. And most people show up at like 94%, right? And that difference between 94 to 98 or, to you know, to 88 is really big and important right andrea pirlo at an 88% focus is bobby warshaw right like literally he was scott caldwell
1: you know it's kind of mean to scott caldwell
2: or it's awesome
1: g- g- given given what we saw of pirlo and last... right, okay, yeah.
2: <laughs> right you get the but, idea yeah. though you know like yeah. that 3 to 5% really matters and i would say that the stat like the not the status quo but the baseline is probably somewhere like 94 95% and you have the right crowd, maybe you're, you're a, a partner in the stands, whatever it is, if that gets you to 97%, I think that this, we talk about the mythical CONCACAF effect, right? Why do, why is it so hard to play in a CONCACAF game? And I think that this is why. I think that there's something about the emotion in those stadiums in those countries, which is, by my observation and my experiences, just a higher sense of emotion. Allows those players to hit that 97, 98, 99% of their focus
1: and whereas, sustain it. And yeah. sustain it.
2: Whereas American players yeah. are doing, are at 95% and doing nothing wrong. And again, Alex Roldan at 98% is probably Tyler Adams at 94%, 95%. And that's the way the sport works. So that's my putting a little bit of objectivity or maybe science to that question.
1: I like it. And to put it in perspective, these percentage points that Bobby is talking about, right? If we're going to put a value on them, right? Teams do this in the transfer market all the time. It costs tens of millions of dollars for a couple percentage points, you know? Um, So, I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to think of it and to look at it.
2: Yeah. Literally Um, literally costs tens of millions of dollars for one single goal. That's what you. Yeah. That's usually what you're buying. Paul Ariel, Paul Ariel for two for two million gam probably adds one point to that team. <laughs> Which is, if you were to model it uh, I'm, I'm almost, that's what I would guess it is. Probably less. Yeah. Probably less than a point over an Obrion.
1: That's wild, man. But again, another part of that trade that we haven't discussed yet is that the gam market's totally different now because the new CBA has met, it's in, inflated it the amount of gam that each team gets by five x or so. And Dallas has plenty again because they keep selling players and they can can keep converting a million dollars of those fees into general allocation money. So anyway, it's the market within the market on that one. Um, Man, Bobby, you got me thinking about stuff. And I want to talk about another player who, when you're talking about percentages, seems to always be at 97 or 98. And that's Brendan Aronson, right? You talk about trying hard and effort and maxing out. He's more extreme in those ways than maybe even Ariola is, right? And he is a guy that could potentially be moving to from one club that values those things to a coach who values those things maybe more than anybody else in the world, <laughs> uh, in Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds. Um, Leeds are going for him now. I've been reporting this with a colleague of mine over in the UK named Phil Hay uh but they're you know they had a 15 million pound bid rejected for Aronson they're going to probably lodge a 20 million pound bid that's 27 million dollars US for Aronson and we'll see if if Salzburg want him to go they have a Champions League series coming up against Bayern and they don't really want to sell anyone before that um that's in february the window closes at the end of the month but bobby i'm curious you know bielsa is this legendary figure in in the game right Mythical, for sure, has a documentary, has that famous PowerPoint presentation (laughs) from when he was spying on Darby County and Frank Lampard. Um, What do you think of the potential of an American player, Brendan Aronson, moving to Leeds to play for him? I just want to say, tell Phil, hey, I really enjoy his coverage. I will tell him that. Phil's a great guy. I only met him the other day, but he's a great guy. That's awesome. My...
2: This is near and dear to my heart, Sam. The first ever European game I ever went to was Leeds United. Really? Yeah, we were, my brother and I, uh, when we could watch soccer in Europe, basically the two sexy teams to watch were, Man- were that Manchester United team and then that Leeds team.
1: So, this is like oh three, oh two, 3 2 thereabouts? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. You know, then like everyone else, I like didn't follow them as they went down to League One. So, that's, right. uh, I appreciate Phil Hay reconnecting my brother and I to this kind of...
1: There you go. When was the to... game? When was the game that you went to?
2: Well, I, I couldn't. I don't know the exact day, but it was Leeds Arsenal at Ellen Road, and it was the day that Leeds uh, introduced Rio Ferdinand to the crowd. Oh wow! So they bought Rio Ferdinand from West Ham. I guess he was there for a year or two before United.
1: So anyway, you didn't answer my question. I don't know what what, is what is was the question? question? I don't. Know. What do you think of Aaronson potentially going there? Oh, I mean, it's awesome.
2: But, but do I, is there much other much else to add? Right to play in the Premier Why League? Why do you to think play, it's awesome? To, to play in the Premier League, to play at a club like Leeds, to play for a, a, a manager like Bielsa, you know, so to a certain degree, when you think about and when you think about Aronson's career arc, you know, maybe would I have preferred he go play for a, a Graham Potter right somebody that was a little bit more on the ball focused and not sure you know to balance out his skill set but as less, a, mur- as a less fan, murder
1: ball yeah, more is, on the ball
2: is yeah. is going to play for Bielsa a bad thing no of course not yeah so I'm just I'm be excited really cool
1: uh, well we'll see if it happens right if deal ain't done yet and I don't know if they'll sell maybe it'll happen in the summer who knows if Bielsa will even be there at that point Um, his contract is maybe up. I'm not really sure. I should go read more of Phil Hayes coverage. Um, let's stick in the premier league though. That's it. You're going to ask me for mine.
2: You're going to ask me for my opinion and not give me your opinion.
1: I mean, you want it. You didn't ask me. I always
2: want your opinion. I would rather you lead with your opinion than ask me a question.
1: All right. I will be more intentional with that content strategy moving forward. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it'd be awesome, man. Like, all the things that you just said, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. Like him playing there, and and they they would play him in a central role, which I think would be interesting. You know, obviously he's played mostly as a winger with the U.S., but at Salzburg he plays in a central role. I think it would hone and develop and heighten all of the things that are really good about Aronson's game already. And I think as he goes forward, if he's going to be a successful player in the Premier League, he's going to have to add, I think, some of those on the ball qualities as well. And so, I think there would be the potential for that there. Not as much as there would be maybe at some other clubs, like you said. Um, but I think that would be an element that develops as well. And so, I think it would be really cool. Biggest league in the world, obviously. Um, and I think it's a team that that fits him in the here and now. And one where he could elevate his career going forward, too. So, yeah. That's, that's what I think about that. And I don't know
2: that we actually both needed to give our thoughts on that one.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, my instincts were right. As usual. Yeah, um, all right. Speaking of instincts, I have a I have a feeling that we should take another break real quick. We'll come back after the break and talk about more stuff. I don't know. We're winging it. Sam Staskel, Bobby Warshaw, Allocation Disorder. Looking for an
0: assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, time, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn
2: more. Okay, we're back. We're back from from that uh, commercial break. And (laughs) I, William, I'm going to ask Sam Well a question now. So if you don't like personal questions, come back in 40 seconds. Uh, Sam, one thing I'm fascinated about your job is that you have traditionally been a reporter? Now you're going a little bit into a columnist phase, but you have traditionally been a reporter. There is a natural progression of reporters that young push up and and challenge the seasoned. There was a time when we were younger. We right? were young. There were other there. Yeah. Was, there are people who were breaking all of the news. Yeah, consistently. And then I think there is a span when Paul, Paul Tenorio, if you're not familiar, that Paul was the... <laughs> if you've made it
1: 45 <laughs> minutes into this podcast, you're probably familiar.
2: That Paul was the primary newsbreaker in the country. You know, and I'm sure that that was hard on... And I've, I imagine I've, well, I've kind of talked to Jeff about this because I, I like that Jeff Carl is honest about the, um, the competition Credit. that's natural and good. good. So I'm curious to hear from you. and then I would say you probably came and were the primary newsbreaker from Paul, and Paul will give a song and dance about how he was on paternal leave, which is fair. Still is. but you <laughs> but you still, you know probably were breaking more news. I would say that <laughs> I would say that Tom Bogert is breaking more news in both of you now.
1: I'm glad you said that because
2: it's true. And how, And how does that make you feel? Right, because oh, I know that man. you are you are man. Competitive. Oh, this is great. We have talked this about this, Sam. So my the end man. of my ninety second too long of a question is how does it feel to now be the one that is being challenged and perhaps passed at this moment?
1: Sure. So first of all, if if you're listening to this, bosses, stop. Um, <laughs> all right, I think we're good now. Um, so, I feel a lot of different things about this. So, I actually was talking to Paul about some of these things earlier today, as a matter of fact. Um, first of all, can we call
2: Paul in? Is that possible? No,
1: no oh. he has children. Let him be. Um, <laughs> so, so first of all, Tom Bogart is doing an awesome job and I'm proud of him and I'm excited for him because he's breaking some real stories. Um, and he's killing it and it's cool and like, to be in that place, like, I used to have Tom's job. Like, I used to be Tom. Like, I worked for MLSSucker.com on a freelance basis, and my mandate was to break all kinds of news, right? That thing made so Well,
2: I was going to make a joke that that's actually an unfair joke to make, because pe- I assume people listening to this think that because you work at MLS and you get a paycheck that you are fed things. And
1: you aren't you, yes. you're not fed and, anything. And, like, I just want to say this. Like, people that I was speaking to today who will remain nameless, but who work in this business, think that. Yeah. It's not true. It's not true. Like at all. And and I didn't, that didn't happen for me. I'm, I mean, I guess I'm making an assumption here. I'm assuming it doesn't happen for Tom, but you know, what you have to do is you have to be personable and you have to get people to tell you things that they probably shouldn't be telling you. And you have to really just like make a, a crap load of phone calls and it is a ton of work and you have to constantly be online and it's not a life that's particularly fun. When you're on the come up, it's cool and you can justify it because you're gunning for something. Right? And I am competitive still. Like I was dealing with some personal things in my own life this morning that kind of kept me offline. And and, and they kept me offline most of yet most of yesterday as well. And I sort of logged on to Twitter at some point early in the afternoon and I see that Tom has had like four scoops. And I went, damn it. Not out loud, but to myself in my head. And I and like my first reaction was to be pissed. Because like I got beat. That's how I think of it. Right? And my second reaction is to be like, Sam, it's not the end of the world. There's always another scoop, first of all. Um, And second of all, you can add depth and layered coverage to that reporting, right? Either by confirming it or by writing about it more at length or by talking about it on your podcast. And you can not continue the news cycle, but you can add value to it in a way that is... Entertaining and informative for your readers and listeners, right? So, that's cool. But yeah, it's still in the back of my head that I'm pissed even right now, right? And... But man, that's not a life I want to live forever. Like, have you ever read a story about Adam Schefter or Woj or Shams and how they live? Like what their lives are like?
2: I I was actually going to ask that next if you could inform someone like me who's not as familiar with that side of the industry. Yeah.
1: So so there, there there, are articles out there about this, about these people, right? And how they live. And I think GQ did one on Shams Tarania, who works for the Athletic, and he breaks a ton of NBA news. Um, 26
2: years old? 27?
1: Yeah. Crazy. He's like a prodigy. He has two phones, and he's on them constantly, like 24-7. Like constantly texting agents, GMs, PR people, whoever, people in different... Various players, entourages, players themselves, I'm sure, um, you know, staying sourced up. And what that kind of work requires is someone who does it not anywhere near that level is, is constantly talking to people and constantly staying online and staying ahead of everyone else who's fighting for the same exact scraps of information that you're fighting for. And it's exhausting. And like, there are times, Bobby, when me just like anybody else in the world wants to throw this stupid phone that's in my hand right now into the ocean because I've been spending too much time on it and social media is a disaster. And I just want to hang out and watch million dollar listing with my wife. And like, that's it. You know, I don't want to think about any of this crap. And, and so that's sort of where I've arrived. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop breaking news. I broke some news today about Brendan Aronson, right? It's part of my job. I'm not going to neglect it right and but the things that i find particularly motivating and interesting and exciting when i think about my work are breaking stories that aren't going to come out via press release in an hour or a day or a week like a trade will right or a transfer will it's breaking news that has an impact on people and otherwise would not have been reported right so something like the deloy hansen story for instance um You know, or even something like, you know, the, not that we broke this story, but uncovering something along the lines of what happened with Miami last year, right? Shining light on things that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day. So those are the things that get me excited. And then the other thing that gets me excited is kind of like the analysis piece. And I don't mean the on-field analysis thing, the thing that you used to do and the thing that Doyle does, thing that Joe, who's editing this podcast right now, does, um, it's it's the more kind of I would I would frame it some ways news analysis. So I'm writing a piece right now about this Areola trade that sort of breaks all of that down from that perspective, from kind of okay, what does this mean for Areola and DC and Dallas and what does it say about the league? Right. And diving into those areas. So that's interesting to me. And then the other part is kind of the big global stuff for MLS and American soccer which I talk about on on this show and write about too much and you all know my opinions and takes on it. So I don't, I don't even need to say it, but that's the stuff that gets me energized now. And it's not the, it's not the, okay, which, which free agent is going to sign with which MLS club, you know?
2: To, <laughs> to use a, a phrase from a book I just read from Almanac, it's, it's basically which skill can you leverage, right? And, and for young people, for younger people, Right, which Tom is now, which you used to be, Paul, you, everyone used to be.
1: You're yeah. leveraging we're, your t- we're geezers now. <laughs> you're leveraging your
2: time and your effort. Right, that yeah. is what gives you. That is what ge- what gives you influence and a chance. At this point, you're now leveraging your perspective, your experience, your knowledge, and that's the phase you're in now. What you and I have talked about, uh, maybe you have, we haven't talked about this probably nine months. I think that that is a career risk for you that you have been a premier newsbreaker and reporter trust. Like when you say a thing, it is trusted. And that is that is a thing that will always give you a reasonable paycheck in this industry. And your effort to do more analysis and perspective perspective is risky because you lose the trust that gives you the sources to do the news. But that is a thing that you have decided to do anyway, for reasons I completely understand. And I would probably do the same if I were you. But you're aware of that risk that's associated with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. But like, you know, if something makes me miserable, is is strong, and it's not that. But like, if I was living my life trapped in the in the in the washing machine that is the news cycle, just going round and round and round and being battered yeah, and it. soaked in detergent, yeah. and that's all it was every single day, I would hate it. You ta- hate you're it. You're
2: talking to a guy that was more than happy to move out of media for that exact reason.
1: Yeah, and and so you know, like yeah, it's it's risky. And has it cost me sources? One million percent, like one million percent. Like I've, you know, I I have more sources now than I did two years ago, right? Because of my network has expanded, and over mm-hmm. time you get to know more people. But I some of the sources I had two years ago, I no longer have as sources because they're pissed. Who's at me the main one? Who's the, main one? Who's the main one? I'm uh, not gonna name. I can't look, name look, look, names. Look, 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 Pause for a sec. I mean, I, I I'll tell you after we stop recording, but I cannot name this because <laughs> then that would reveal that they were sources beforehand. Um, uh, but but yeah, that's that's a thing, but that's a risk that I'm willing to take. Not just because I don't know, mostly for selfish reasons, I guess, because I find it more interesting to do the work the way I do it now than just straight up breaking news. It's also,
2: it's really hard once you've had a taste of it. And I'm sure people out there feel the same way who are listening. But once you've had a feel for having your voice contribute to a conversation and then you have you hear a conversation going, it's extremely challenging to ever not contribute to that. That if you feel yeah. like there's a thing that needs to be said or an angle or perspective that needs to be provided, <laughs> it has to yeah. be, you. you have to be the one to give it. So, we
1: have lots of opinions and they're all very important. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. It's, there's a little measure of intoxication there, but there's, there is that with breaking news too. It's a rush, man. Like when you break a story and like, I, I hate this about myself, but like, I enjoy putting it out on Twitter and seeing all the retweets fly in. And it, it's like little tiny hits of dopamine all the time. But that rush ends in 10, 10 minutes to drug the kills. So it's, to learn it's, the, it's, yeah. To and the and the then kills. you have to chase it again. Yeah. Like, immediately. Otherwise, someone else is going to beat you, right? And so, it's the competition. It's it's the the dopamine reaction, whatever. All of those things that social media people, you know, people have written about and studied. Um, yeah, man. It's a weird business. But at the end of the day, you know what? I get paid to talk about soccer and write about soccer. And that ain't so bad. Okay. So, well, welcome Can back from the break. Welcome back from the break for
2: those people that skip forward. <laughs>
1: Man, yeah. All right, bosses, you can start listening again. Speaking of talking about soccer, I mentioned your podcast with mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter at the top of the show. Um I'm curious what your experience with with that has what it's been like for you hosting it, how you feel you've grown, and what you think you've learned about yourself and about and about the coach of the US Men's National Team. Well, we'll
2: start with the, we'll start with the coach of the US Men's National Team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bury the lead here. Kind uh, of, what have I learned about? I would say two things I've learned about Greg are one is that I deeply appreciate that Greg truly knows and believes that results speak for themselves. So, you know, a big part of the reason we do the show is to get his voice out there and to build him and the players and the team to a new audience. And Greg hasn't said this, but I would say that his perspective is very much like, well, if we win, it doesn't matter. And we talk at this point, Greg has always been someone that believes soccer should be played a certain way, that he's got clear ideas. He doesn't mind talking about them. But really, it, just, it comes down to winning. And I appreciate that among everyone else who tries to make their case in a million different ways now, and even though Greg does the podcast with U.S. Soccer that he is very understanding of the fact that results speak for themselves and it is his job to get results for the American people and for the U S men's national team fan. And I found, I find that to be maybe times at times, uh, frustrating from like a content perspective, but, but
1: refreshing <laughs> we can some from, shorter answers, probably <laughs>
2: refreshing from a human perspective. Does that come off when we have our conversations?
1: Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say so. Because, like, sometimes it sort of appears like, you know, sometimes Greg will be really engaged on a, on a question, and other times he'll he'll pull back and he'll just sort of, you can sort of see the gears turning in his head, where it's just kind of like, well, like, none of this matters. We just got to win, to, you know, quote what you just said, right? And so, yeah, I think it comes through. I don't think I had thought of it really in that way before, but now that you say it, yeah.
2: Yeah, th- I guess another way to look at that is that, I find Greg to be very authentic, right? He's not trying to, he's not trying to tell you a story. He's not trying to build a narrative. It's like, I'm here to win and I will do things that are part of my job like this podcast. But the truth is I'm here to win and I want you to judge me on how good my team is and whether they're entertaining for you to watch.
1: Yeah. And also on his behind the back passes on the side.
2: Love those. Love just a, just a guy from New York, baby. Uh, and number two, the thing I think I've learned is uh, and he's just a good listener. And
1: sometimes he I is. ask a question. You know, when you and I are talking, unless unless he's looking at a Jamaica mug from Starbucks. Yeah, I don't know if you pick up that reference, but anyway, please, you and I carry on.
2: Well, well, you and I are in this conversation. It's it's almost like when. I guess when any two, now that I say this, maybe this is like a a white guy thing, but when usually when two people have a conversation, the other person is ready to say something and can cut off the sentence almost every time. And
1: a lot of conversations are just waiting for your turn to talk. Yeah.
2: When you, when you host a podcast too, it's, it's over, you know, we're looking at each other on video and I look at Greg on video and usually you say something with the expectation that it's going to raise their energy level and they're going to come jump right in. Like when you listen to the best podcasts, it's this perfect balance of not cutting each other, off, each other off because that's the cardinal sin of podcasting. And no, really one an- of
1: my weaknesses. <laughs> I say as I cut you off
2: and there's not really dead space because there's good energy. When you do a podcast, when you ask questions, you're always working to find that balance of I want to say something interesting, but I also want to key you up to take it right away. And what Greg does is he always listens to the end. And I know that sounds (laughs) – it's it's just like he, he always just listens. He always lets me get the full question out, the full thought out. And then he pauses and then he answers. Yeah. And, and as I say this, I'm like, oh, well, that's the way a human should always do it. But the truth is, very few humans actually do that. No one do does that. that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no one does. He that. listens, he pauses, he answers. And I've, I and I, we've talked about this. He's like, yeah, I've, I really work on that. I'm glad you noticed because I work on that. And I was like, God damn it, I'm mm-hmm. going to work on that now too.
1: Yeah. I mean, being a good listener is a good quality to have. He has that for sure. Um, way more than I do. That's for certain it is it is kind of funny, you know who else I think does that, and maybe you disagree with it. I think Bob Bradley is the same way, another former or a former u s men's national team coach. You might disagree with me, but I've always gotten the sense, and I haven't spent much time with him but in the time I have spent with him, every word you say is measured and considered, and it, the glare on that word might be a little bit brighter than it is under Burhalter <laughs> um But I get the sense that he's uh, also very considerate about things in that same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is.
2: So here's a little question back at you. Back to the point about Greg being just honest and authentic. There was a time, there have been times when people ask him post-game questions. You asked him a post-game question (laughs) one time. and Probably the majority of people listening to this do not watch the YouTube videos of the U.S. men's national team post-game pressers. But Sam asked a question about a set piece, maybe it was at Panama, about the team struggling on set pieces. And Greg said, Oh yeah, what other where's you know, what else is behind that? And Sam didn't have anything. And Greg said, Okay, why don't you bring that question with objective evidence next time? And Sam didn't say anything in response, because what do you say?
1: Well so when that also, happened, I he, was muted on the zoom, to be fair. <laughs> he wasn't
2: he wasn't mean about it. It was just it was direct. It was once again. I hear you like, what, what are the, the results speak for themselves? So what was it like for you to be on the other end of that?
1: Well, that particular instance didn't feel great, to be honest. Um, you know, you're aware you're in front of all of your peers. You're in front of this person that you cover, who's kind of like the boss person that you cover. Right. Um, and you know that he listens and he considers things and he's going to turn things over in his mind. So you better come correct with your question. Right. And I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly, but I've definitely talked about it with you and with other people. Um, I didn't ask that question particularly well. I stumbled over my words and I didn't get the point across to him that I intended to get across. What I wanted to ask, and this was in the Panama game, those of you who watched, maybe you'll remember, Panama scored the only goal of that game on a corner kick. And the header was like right in the six-yard box in your post in the first half before the goal. Uh, they had put two corner kicks on frame that Matt Turner barely kept out with saves. And so, what I basically wanted to ask was, hey, they gave you some trouble on set pieces in the first half. Did you talk about that at halftime and, and discuss changing your strategy at all in terms of how you defended them? And it came and, out. And if I had asked, and if I had asked it like that, it would have been fine. I did not ask it like that. I was like, yeah, you know, you guys are doing zonal marking on the corners. You know, they gave you some trouble. Uh Did you, you know, consider switching out of that in the second half? And he heard zonal marking and was like, well, we've been doing zonal marking for however many years I've been in charge. And we have a good record on defending set pieces. So, why don't you come with that stat of our record defending set pieces using this exact system if you're going to come at me with a question like that? And so... There was a a communication breakdown that was my fault for asking a poor question. But yeah, it felt crappy in the moment, but that's okay. Like sometimes it was an emotional night, you know, and it was an emotional kind of period for the team. And so he was emotional, I think, more emotional than he would have been had it been a pregame conversation, for instance. And so he got, you know, he he hit me back, uh, not like overly hard, but with some oomph in it. And and that's fine, no problems there. He hits you back
2: like he does the behind the back pass.
1: But there was some. I hip. don't know. There's more flair in the behind the back pass. I don't know what the uh, what the equivalent is. It was more of a slide tackle, I would say.
2: I have. I don't know if you have know another question about the pod or about doing it with Greg. I do have. I think what is a summary line. So if you have, if you have any other thoughts give or it, questions, no,
1: give it to me. Give I, I to think
2: me. the summary line that. That when people want to know about the show, what they're generally asking about, and really the core of beyond whether our coach wins or loses, I think that there is a second thing we always want to know. And it's, would I enjoy getting coffee with that person? Would I enjoy
1: getting a beer with that person? <laughs> this right? is how we vote for presidents. in this Yeah. Country.
2: It's, if I'm going to put all of this emotional energy into this person. Right if I'm going to care so much about what this person does at least make it someone that I want to have over for a family dinner. And I can say that he is, right? Like that's if if you just want if at its most basic from my experience would I tell anyone to go get a beer with this guy? Absolutely. You know, would you have more fun if you're willing to talk about the the amoeba? Yeah, for sure. But like <laughs> he's just an interesting kind guy that you would really enjoy spending time with, which probably isn't true about everyone that's been in similar roles.
1: Well, and I'm sure it's not true of what everyone thinks about Greg Berhalter, right? That's a pretty subjective thing as well. So, um, but yeah, it is a good podcast. And if you've made it all the way to this one, um, and you've enjoyed this, then I think it's fair to say you'll enjoy Bobby's guaranteed with Greg because it's much more polished and professional than this rambling, incoherent wreck of a show. But you know what, Bob, I thought it was really good. This episode, if I do say so myself,
2: yeah. Did we? We didn't even. I don't know if that means we're done. Are we done?
1: We don't have to be. Did you I mean, want to talk been kind of Turner late. real
2: quick? I know that you were excited about Matt oh, Turner.
1: Yeah, I don't. Whatever. I mean, he shouldn't go there, in my opinion. I think it's really cool that Arsenal has interest and financially for him. I'm sure it will be absolutely life changing. And I don't mean to minimize that. That is a great reason to go. You only have so much earning potential as a professional athlete. Only so many years you can do it. Um, but I, I, it would just be weird. They just bought a goalkeeper in Ramsdale for up to $40 million like six months ago. And he's been doing well. So he ain't going to play if he goes there. And I don't know. Why go somewhere that you aren't going to play? I don't really get that.
2: Yes, you do. Yes, you do. What do you mean? Of course you get it. When I don't get it. Of course you would understand why somebody would do it. Or well, financially. Said, financially, money, sure. Anyway. Yeah, financially, already, sure. I mean, what about the fact that it's Arsenal? Besides the fact, that it's, besides in the fact that it's like, we can have the conversation whether you should do it at West Ham or Aston Villa, which is maybe also still yes. But Arsenal? Yeah, obviously, bro.
1: I mean, I don't know. Like, I would much rather be the bigger fish in a slightly smaller pond than a minnow in a, bi- in a big ocean. But that's me. Not everyone's like that.
2: That's, this feels like the wrong analogy. This isn't...
1: There's maybe this is like saying would you know. rather? I don't think it is. He, why? So you're saying it's Arsenal, bro? It's Arsenal. Well, he's going to go to Arsenal. He's going to play six times a year. Who cares? You have if it's to Arsenal. Try You're it. not what playing. Are you what are you?
2: What are you in this? What are you in this for? If you don't have a little ambition, if you don't have a little bit of, yeah, I mean, let me see how far Matt I can Turner.
1: Take this. No one. No one in maybe the on the entire U.S. men's national team has bet on their on themselves and hit longer odds than Matt Turner. This is a guy that started playing soccer when he was 14, right? It's absurd that he's arrived at the level that he's arrived at. Um, And so, I would understand if that gives him a sense of belief in himself that is unreasonable even in the world of professional athletes who, by their very definition, have to have unreasonable belief in themselves, right? I would get it. But at the same time, like, dude, like, just look at the situation, there are also the facts in front of you.
2: What do you I, I truly have... I cannot... I don't think you even believe what you're saying. What do you mean? You're going to f- turn down Arsenal to stay at mm-hmm. the New England Revolution.
1: I mean, you're going to bet that another offer's coming along. You're not signing a lifetime contract with the New England Revolution. So, do you go be the backup at West Ham? Do you go be the starter at West Ham? I, I think West Ham, you have a much better chance of becoming the starter than you do at Arsenal.
2: Do you go be the starter at Mooch and Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I would, I would want to go be the starter at the club. Okay, I, was all moving right, so this to. is fair. I, I don't.
2: I think your point, I did, I think the idea that there's a better offer that might come along is fair. We. Could, I'm, not, I'm still not sure there's a better offer than being a backup at somewhere like Arsenal.
1: There might not be, but that that if I'm Matt Turner, that's a risk I'm willing to take.
2: That's but I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying that I'm not sure that I would take being a starter at Gladbach over a backup at Arsenal. Why not? Maybe it's some of my old-fashioned Arsenal is Arsenal, and I'm underrating a club like Gladbach. Yeah. Mid
1: table, right, mid table Premier League. The point
2: table. you're in this, especially at <laughs> I think where Matt Turner is at his age and his career, is that you are in this to get to the pinnacle, right? The pinnacle is traditionally Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Manchester United, are probably in that next group with Bayern. You can't be
1: at the pinnacle if you're a passenger. But so, you're, how are you going to climb the mountain, or are you going to stand at the base while your while your team climbs it and you watch? But
2: when you're, but you're he's one moment away from being the starter for Arsenal. Like I don't... The dismissiveness of this is very is blowing me away.
1: All right. Maybe I'm being...
2: There's, there is a good conversation to have on whether it's good for the national team and all of that, but the fact that he should not consider it.
1: I'm not saying not consider it. Basically I'm just...
2: what you said, samuel
1: Well, all right. Fair. But like from a financial perspective, that has to play a real role and that is going to make you consider it right? hundred percent. And I don't know if he has other offers out there. I don't know if anyone else is interested. I would assume that they are, but if no one else is, then yeah, then that tips the scales a little bit in Arsenal's favor. If you're Matt Turner. But for me, I want to go to a place. I want to go to a club that didn't just buy a keeper who is four years younger than me for four to five times the price that they're going to buy me for. And by the way, that keeper's playing well. You know, it's just not, that's not like really, would you say that's an ideal situation to walk into?
2: No, that's, I mean, I get, okay. I'm more understanding of the fact that there might be better offers and I haven't done enough thinking on what the hierarchy of those would be for Matt Turner.
1: And, And when you talk about the national team, his main argument for potentially playing games at a World Cup in a year or 10 months is that he's starting games and playing every week and his competition, Zach Steffen, is not. So now you're going to go to a place where you're going to be in that same position. Well, then you're going to have no chance at that starting gig. Right. And I think that has to play a role, at least in a short term decision for Matt Turner in the here and now as well. Anyway, we got to wrap this thing up, man. I got to eat dinner, but this has been an incredible show. Thank you for joining me, Bobby. I've had a lot of fun. I hope you've had some fun. I hope you've listened. You listeners have had some fun. Um, and yeah, thanks for joining. This has been Allocation Disorder. You got anything you want to say? Any sign off you want to, anything you want to plug? <laughs> plug my, uh, my Twitter account. Um, my <laughs> at at EmpireGoss. That's right.
2: At EmpireGoss.com. Is that, how tw- is that how it works? EmpireGoss.com.
1: Thanks for listening.